Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're still in the Big B, the Mighty B Boston. It's beautiful, it's summertime, and we are at Available Light with Steven Rosen, the creative director and president of a firm that is not only in Boston, but New York, Raleigh, and suburban Boston. Suburban Boston. Steven, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How are things going? I got to say, Sam, it's nice to look across the table at another person. Hey, six feet away. Yep. Mostly been looking at cardboard boxes. I totally understand that. COVID's an interesting time, but it's it's given us all an opportunity, I think, to rinse a little bit, reset. Anyways, we're here in Boston today. Steven founded his company, Available Light, quite some time ago. We're sitting down with him today to learn a little bit more about what it's been like to go out on your own, start your own business, and then grow into where you're at today, which is running an office with 17 people in it, which is awesome. Congratulations, by the way. I hope before you decide to stop managing people, there's 100 people working here. Maybe that's up to you. Before we dive into your journey, just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you got your start in lighting. Well, like a lot of people, I'm a theater guy. I think I got my start back in junior high school and doing the musical. There were girls that were cute and seemed to be the place to be. And I trode the boards for a couple of projects and then realized that perhaps that was not the place for me. I just kept looking stage right over to the uh, lighting console, which was about the size of a room and had a lot of handles on it. And a bunch of monkeys were running this thing. Monkeys meaning young guys and young girls running this thing. That's, that like, seemed... that's like one of those 96 channel boards with two well, it was a, it was 90. It was uh, auto transformer dimmers. So you were literally raising and lowering these metal levers, kind of like Frankenstein's switch. Oh my goodness. And you're in a cage so that you could actually push your body against the cage so you could use both your hands and your feet and your mouth to run the lighting. So you were running these levers up and down. And so it became sort of a hand-eye coordination thing. So and this was like pre-DMX. Oh, pre yeah. The, uh, yeah, this was- This uh, was like was, legitimate rheostat to the max. Yeah, we were uh, beyond the saltwater dimmer, but had not quite gotten to the SCR yet. Gotcha. Uh, and the funny thing is, is because you're, when you're running those consoles, if you want to call it a console, sure. basically a wall of dimmers, your back was to what you were doing. So you actually never really knew what you were doing, but you could hear the music on stage. And so you would try to orchestrate your body to move these levers in a way that was in time with the music. So you felt a bit like you were a musician or a drummer or something like that. So that was pretty cool. And I was smitten. It was like, this is what I want to do in my life. So when it was time to apply to colleges, I decided I was going to get into lighting. I wanted to be a lighting designer. I was going to be a Broadway lighting designer and win a bunch of Tony Awards. Absolutely. And a bunch of kids following me around wanting my autograph. I have a lot of lighting designers autographs. Do you? No. <laughs> well, after this, I'll be happy to give you mine. Oh, I'll take yours. 100%. <laughs> I will say, though, every time I go to New York or I'm in London and I see a Broadway show, I do read the program and see who the lighting oh, designer yeah. is yeah. and I Google them. 
because I, I respect all of them and they do amazing work. And they work very, very hard to get there. Yes, they do. It is not an easy, it is not an easy trip. That's for sure. The theater is not an easy walk of life, yeah. but it is a beautiful and fun one. It is. And it's very rewarding. And so that aesthetic has stayed with me and stayed with Available Light along the way. But I digress. So let me take a step back and just sort of my path here. Like, how did I yeah. get here? So I was in college. I spent my freshman year at UCLA, loved being in a giant school, hated the theater program at the time. I think it's much better now. And found my way to a place in Central California called the Pacific Conservatory of the Performing Arts, which at the time was one of the most amazing places you could be. It was an incubator for great work. And I just happened to luck into this golden age of theater production in college. But it was weird. It was a two-year program. So I had three years of college and no degree. What do I do now? So I somehow found my way to St. Louis, Webster College, now Webster University, and had my first real epiphany at Webster College. I was in my lighting design class, like always, come in, learn about stage lighting. One day we come into the class and there's a guest speaker who I'd never seen, never heard of. And the guy's name is Dave Munson. He was an architect and also did the lighting design for his architecture firm. And my professor had invited him to talk to our class about basically alternative careers because he knew what none of us knew, which was there were way more of us than there were jobs. So maybe I should introduce these kids to other things they could think about. So it was an architect. It was an architect. I'd always been kind of an architecture groupie. I'd always loved architecture. Like when I'd go to a new city, I'd like seek out what the architectural highlights of the city were. St. Louis has the arch. I mean, that is yeah. one of the most beautiful architectural structures, sculptures in the world. I mean, it is breathtaking. So Dave Munson talked about architectural lighting and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you could do that. So through that chance encounter, I was able to, through my professor, set up an internship in Salem, Massachusetts, not too far up the road from where we are right now. And I spent six months interning at an architectural lighting design and engineering firm called TLA Lighting Consultants, worked for a guy named Tom Lemons and another guy named Rick Chamberlain, learned all sorts of things about the architectural world and fixture design, optics, reflectors. It was really kind of a cool background. At the time, I didn't really appreciate it all that much. But over the course of my career, I've noticed how much, I've learned how much that helped me as a base. And you were getting exposed to kind of the fundamentals of what would lay the foundation for the That's many right. things that... You not only had to learn about, but use on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's really amazing because having a true understanding how optics work and reflectors work makes you a better designer, right? You understand the tools in an innate kind of way that many of my colleagues don't. So I finished up at Webster and decided to move to New York City in the MFA program at NYU Tisch School of the Arts. Spent three years working my butt off there, got my master's degree and began the trek of that first Broadway show. So I was assisting, I was working off Broadway, I was working for the NYU dance department as a production manager. And then one day the phone rang and it was TLA Lighting Consultants and they were busy and they were like, hey, you know, we really could use some help. Would you consider coming to Massachusetts and joining the company? And I thought long and hard about that. That was, you know, that was a very, that was probably the biggest struggle decision I, I had to make. And I thought, well, Let's say there's 10,000 lighting designers in the world and 9,500 of them live in New York City. And maybe half of them have talent. And the number of jobs available for those is just, the numbers were looking pretty bleak. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I could use an adventure. So I packed up my stuff and got on the Greyhound and ended up working at TLA Lighting Consultants. And how long were you there? I was at TLA probably three years, two and a half, three years. As I told you earlier, there was this guy named Rick Chamberlain who was one of the partners there, and he and I were kindred spirits. 
And although I was learning an enormous amount from Tom Lemons, both on the technical and design side, it was Rick and I who really had kind of forged a relationship. And we were more theater people than Tom was. And we were doing side work. We were lighting the New England Spring Flower Show and we were lighting trade show exhibits. I found that our nighttime job, our moonlighting jobs were taking up more of our time than working at TLA Lighting Consultants. So at some point, Rick and I decided to break away and start our own thing. And so Rick started a company and I went to work for him. It was really focused on corporate industrials, trade show exhibits, things like that. And that was by nature of a passion you guys had found and really a niche that you were filling at the time. Well, it was a passion that we had found that we were able to apply the skills that we had. So theatrical lighting designers, understanding the whole gestalt of being a theatrical lighting designer and what that means from storytelling to the technology, to the scheduling, to the implementation and the production. And it was a good glove that fit a theatrical lighting designer and yet also provided a steady means of income. And it allowed us to experiment in ways that we couldn't necessarily experiment back at TLA Lighting Consultants. We started down this road and uh, we were doing big corporate work and we were doing this giant computer show. And as it turns out, the people who were designing the scenery for that big trade show were a museum exhibit design firm. I'm not quite sure how they ended up on the job, but there they were and they were lovely people. And we spent a lot of time talking about light and how to make their environment look beautiful. At the end of all of that, it went very well. Our clients were happy. And that firm, Krent Paffett Associates, was very happy with the work we had done for them. And they extended an invitation to us to light a museum because that was their next project. That was the Virginia Air and Space Center and Hampton Roads History Center, a very large project right out of the gate. And they came to us and said, hey, do you want to light a museum? And we said, well... We know how to do lighting design, but we've never done a museum. And they said, no problem. We'll just teach you all that part. Wow. That's uh, pretty cool. That was a lot of trust. We, we trust you for what you know. That's right. And we're going to teach you what we know you don't. And that's okay. It was awesome. That's a collaborative effort right there. It was really great. And Krent Paffett Associates was our first and most regular client for probably 15 years. And a funny thing happened along the way, and that is... As it turns out, there were a plethora of museum exhibit design firms here in the Boston area. I had never even considered, just like I had never considered architectural lighting, I'd never considered museum lighting. You were kind of on this path of following something that made you tick. I assume you were working pretty hard to practice that. The opportunities presented themselves. And as they say, if you're prepared for that opportunity when it comes along, or if you can kind of BS your way through that opportunity that shows success. And all of a sudden, the museum world opened itself to us. People were calling us because they heard that, hey, there were these guys that did lighting for museum exhibits. The phone started ringing. So along the way, one economic downturn, another economic uptick, Rick decided to take a job in Ohio and left me the Rolodex. And for anybody who's wondering what a Rolodex is... (laughs) It's an analog database. You had a database and you said... I said, well, I'm going to try to make a go of this. And at the same time, I was trying to keep the trade show business going and the museum business going. I was also delving a little bit deeper into the theater. So I was doing theatrical lighting at night, trade shows on the weekends, lighting museums during the day. And through that mix of things, I would meet architects. So the architectural lighting design practice became part of available light. All at once, I was working in all of these disparate industries, theater, trade shows, architecture, and museums. Which is a lot of different areas and honestly requires a lot of focus and a lot of different paths. You started Available Light. You had yourself. You had your wife to support you. 
how fast did that start to grow to the point where you said it's time to bring more people on board? Well, so I was working probably 20 hours a day and my wife would go off to her regular day job and come home every night. And I was up before she got up. I was working until after she was asleep. And she started digging around. She started asking me questions. Have you sent any invoices lately? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting to that. She did a lot of thinking about this. And one day she came home from her day gig and she said, I quit my job. And I said, what? She said, I quit my job. I think we can make a go of this here. I think you need somebody to help run this business because I think there's something here. That was the beginning of Available Light, which is probably about 1990-ish. 1990. It's 2020. We've got 30 years to cover here. Yeah. Well, we'll make it fast. What you did to get to where you're at was incredible. Luck and timing, a lot of hard work, a lot of diverse work. But all of a sudden, you had to put that on autopilot to figure out how to run a business and start to not only create, but make money and fund future opportunities. Well, that's right. And when you look at a theater company, whenever you learn about the management structure of a theater company, you always find that there's an artistic director and a producing director. That's how we set up Available Light. My wife, Susan, was the production director and I was the creative director. We very much decided that we would follow these parallel paths. It would be my job to find the work and do the work and it would be her job to run the company. Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump to 93 when that first employee showed up and talk about how you've grown the business to where it is today. Sound good? Sounds great. Great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightA, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you fun, engaging content in the form of short two-minute videos and things like this podcast. Check them out. That's L-Y-T-E-I.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Stephen and I were just catching up a little bit more about what it meant to take that jump from having a business and opportunity to really turning it into something where people came to work. You got to hire your first employee in 1993. What helped you with that decision? I never had a plan. So I had to react to each situation as it came to me. It was not my idea to have a design firm. It sort of happened. And then I got just so busy. There were just so many phone calls to return, so many jobs to do, so many light plots to draw and fixture schedules to create that it became clear that we needed help. As I look back, the hardest employee to hire is the first one because all of a sudden you are responsible to another human being. I mean, my wife and I made this decision to do this together. Whether it succeeded or failed, nobody got hurt but us. All of a sudden now you've got a third person and that was really hard. But what it did was it made it easier. I was going to say, what, what made it so hard to have that third person? The fear of letting that person down. You're being responsible to a party who had nothing to do with the origination of the, of the thing to begin with. And I learned a great lesson when I hired my first employee. I would say within two weeks, I thought of myself as a better lighting designer because there was another person at the company who was asking why and how and why do you do it this way? All of a sudden, I was forced to articulate the things that I knew to be true, but was never challenged to answer. So together, myself and my first employee, a woman named Shelley Sable, we started to do even more work. You fill the space you have. All of a sudden, there was room for more work. It became clear as we were moving down the road that employee number two was not too far away. The thing kind of took off like a wildfire. 
at the same time, as you recall, we were working in four different industries. And so just keeping all of those balls in the air required more than just the two of us. And that's how we started to grow the company. You mentioned hiring that first employee was difficult. I would assume that means it got easier after that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But there were still always challenges. What was it like for you to continue to bring people into your company and create a structure and then have your role evolve out of the day-to-day of everything, plus design to just the management side of things? That's an interesting dilemma and something, of course, I never thought about having been through an art school education, basically. We did a little research and we found this company, you know, consultants all over do all these things. And I went to this program called Principles Bootcamp, and it was designed specifically for design firms. I spent a week at this program, basically all day long, lectures and a big packet of materials to finish and homework to finish after the thing. And it gave me a full appreciation of, oh my gosh, it is a business. You know, it never, it never occurred to me I was running a business. I was just designing lighting. But now we had employees, we had health insurance, we had taxes to pay. It was overwhelming to figure out how to do that. With very smart people who had for years seen people just like me, creative people who all of a sudden needed to run a business, we began to build a structure. Over time, we'd write policies, we wrote an employee handbook, we figured out how to do health insurance and all those other things. It's like anything, it's, it's a big mystery until you lift the veil a little bit, scratch the surface and start making inquiries. As it turns out, the state of Massachusetts was terrific about answering questions. You could reach out to the Secretary of State and get answers about how to run your business and what's the proper way to do it. And my wife, Susan, grabbed the beast by the hands and we really built a structure for having employees and for growing ever larger. And you did that immediately upon bringing people into the company so that you were prepared to grow. Yeah, we saw an ever-growing share of work. We weren't taking work from anybody. We were creating work where there wasn't work. There were not a lot of people doing exactly the kind of work we were doing. It felt natural, and it felt like our clients were so happy to see us. We were going to take a responsibility off their plate and take care of it for them. It felt right, and yes, we really did think the business would grow. You had a really special opportunity because, as you mentioned, you were creating something that didn't really exist before in the sense that there was a professional consultant that they could hire and pay to do it. Did you ever think that's where you were going or did that also just kind of show up as well? Oh, I th- the whole business has been opportunity, rise to the opportunity, challenge, rise to the challenge. Don't know how to do something, figure it out. And whether that meant how to solve a code problem or how it meant to solve a personnel problem, it didn't matter, right? I was excited to get up every morning and go to work. Sometimes it was highly creative, and sometimes it was down in the trenches trying to solve a company problem. It was invigorating. It came together organically because we were excited to be there, and our employees were really excited to be doing what we were doing. So it was a great time, and to this day, it's a great time. What was it like to be able to hire people that were having that great time with you, that could walk hand in hand with you, but also sit down and get to work and help the business do what it needed to do? Well, as you know, Sam, technology just rolls so quickly. It's very difficult if you are keeping all those plates up in the air, the business, the contacts, the management, it's very difficult to keep up with the technology as well. It became clear early on that in order to harness technology and to enable that technology in my business, I was going to have to lean on employees to do that. And to this day, that is still true. 
that is the beauty of bringing new people in all the time because they come in with new skills and new perspectives. We are achieving things here from a technological point of view that one person could never do because there's just only so many hours in the day. Each employee that has come to Available Light has come with some sort of a special skill that has allowed us to grow and offer more to our clients. It's like there's a bucket of skills at the door. And every time you hire someone, you got to get a bigger bucket because you keep adding to the program and the capabilities of everything that your firm does, probably both internally and externally. Yeah. And sometimes you have a sense of what you need and you go after that. And sometimes you hire somebody who shows great promise. You're not quite sure where they're going to show great promise, but they show great promise. And it reveals itself in the first few months of them being there. It's like, ah, we can go in this direction because this person has those skills to take us there. When that person reveals that skill set or that opportunity, how do you deal with helping send it in the right direction? Is that something that you feel like you guys sit down and identify together? Do you see it and you kind of push them along a little bit? Or That's a great question because different people in different firms have different approaches to that. And for me, it has always been, I think, part of the success that we've had is that I have always encouraged my employees to expand their horizons, whether it is taking classes or taking outside nighttime work because we hire a lot of theater people and they've still wanted to continue with that a little bit, or whether it's been just the challenges that I deliver to them on a daily basis, the younger ones on a daily basis of starting something new, trying something new. We are very firmly entrenched in emerging professionals and employee training here and professional development is really, really important to me. Education has always been incredibly important to me. And allowing these incredibly smart people who come to work here, allowing those people to spread their wings and learn new things has been great for them and great for the company as well. Spread new wings and learn new things. <laughs> now that's, Did I say that? Now, now that's something <laughs> that we can hang our hat on right there. Right. In all honesty, you know, I, I think it is all about the ability to create an environment where people can take on new responsibility, where they're supported to continue to learn while they continue to work. What's probably the most unique thing about your business is the diversity of skill sets you bring and the diversity of projects you do. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to cross-pollinate those and learn something from one aspect of, say, a museum job. Mm -hmm or a trade show booth and, and apply it to the other or vice versa. In fact, you've put your finger on a bit of a selling point for Available Light is the fact that we do work in such diverse industries that we're able to harness technologies and concepts from a trade show exhibit. For instance, just creating lighting positions or rigging positions that we have to do in a trade show exhibit, how we're going to do that in an architectural setting, say over a, a business forum where groups of people are going to gather. The technology that we've learned as theater people and trade show people has filtered its way into architecture and vice versa, control systems and new technologies that have come out of architecture have found themselves into the trade show business. I wanted to go back just for a second about the evolving nature of available light because all we've talked about is hiring relatively young people and training them along the way. And I just wanted to say there came a point where the company had a certain confidence in itself. And we started to bring on more senior people. So I hired a couple of people who were full standing professional adults. That became another major turning point for Available Light when Bill Cadre joined the firm to do the trade show work and Matt Zelkowitz joined the firm to do architectural lighting design as a senior designer. It opened 
yet again, new doors for me and for the company. And then when Ted Mather joined the company and we opened the New York office, it became studios. All of a sudden, Available Light was not just Stephen Rosen sort of leading the helm and being the senior designer on all these projects. Now it became all of these senior designers who were responsible for projects. And my job became A, doing my own projects, but also charting the course for the company and where we were headed next and how we were going to take this burgeoning group of designers, both youngsters, middle-level people, and senior people into the next wave. So you've got all these studios today. You guys are in New York, you're in Boston, and you're also down in North Carolina Mm -hmm. in the Raleigh area. Where are you going from here and how do you figure out where you're going? Well, the world has changed, if you hadn't noticed. I don't know. (laughs) Stephen, the sun still came up, and I still got a coffee this morning. But Uh, yes, things have changed. Things have changed a lot, and certain plans have been put on hold, and we have spent a lot of time ideating about what are the advantages we bring to the marketplace in the marketplace as it exists today. How do we pivot what we know into potential work that we maybe have not done a lot of? So that's a lot of the discussion at Available Light right now. And what does that discussion look like? It looks like a group of people thinking very hard about how to take the skills we have from the theatrical world, which is what we are known for, kind of a theatrical sensibility in lighting design, and focusing maybe on more infrastructure kinds of projects. It also means as the world evolves, there's always been the designers and there's been the builders. And in architecture, that is a very rigid separation of powers uh, other than, you know, design builds for homes and kitchens and things. But, you know, for commercial projects, there's always the designers and then there's the builders. In our trade show work, we do both. We do design and production. One of the things that has been floating around in my brain and the discussions we're having at Available Light is, is that the right thing for Available Light? Does it make sense in the 20s for designers and builders to find more common ground and maybe be providing the same service? makes it easier for clients. There might be an economic opportunity there that didn't exist being solely a design firm. So those are the kinds of things we're talking about. You're continuing to be entrepreneurial. (laughs) You're continuing to evolve. But at the same time, you've got your team and you've got a really cool group of thinkers. Oh, an awesome group of thinkers. When it comes full circle, you look at your career, the 30 years that this company's existed, how it's grown, how you've got junior, senior people and studios and Surely along the way, there were some people that gave advice Mm -hmm. that helped you out. I want to put the word mentor to all of that and ask you, what does mentorship mean to you through this walk? And did you even know you were getting it when you got it? It's hard to think along that line while you are being served by your mentors. It's hard to think about it in those terms. I'm far more cognizant of it today than I was back then. And I have been blessed to have had a lot of mentors. It started with Tom Lemons and Rick Chamberlain, who taught me about lighting and about the business. And then there was Nick Paffett, who was the first museum client, who basically taught me how to do a museum. Like, this is a museum and they get built and there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that goes into it that you haven't thought about, bucko. (laughs) And P.S., we need your help. That's right. So here's where you pipe up. Yep. Yeah. To this day, I continue to have mentors, and I still view some of my clients as my mentors. Some of my architect clients, perhaps it's more of a professional relationship, but we will often talk to each other about problems of the day. Like, as an architect, how do you solve this problem? Well, as a lighting designer, how do you solve this problem? And so we grow our businesses together. 
I have never wanted to navigate independently. I didn't want to be in business for myself, all by myself. I didn't call it Stephen Rosen Design. I called it Available Light. And the things I learn from my employees every day are also critically important to the steps that we decide to make in the future. Mentorship means the world to me. Education means the world to me. It's why I got involved with the IALD and the Education Trust was because I felt that it was really important to pay it forward. And you're even spending some of that time and effort to establish a scholarship that gives back to the community to continue the developing professionals that will come into this industry. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I believe strongly in the Education Trust. I believe strongly in giving young people who are considering a career in lighting an opportunity. And I felt that I had to put my money where my mouth was. Right? I couldn't reach out to people and try to raise money if I too was not participating with my wallet as much as I was with my time. Sure. So we created the Tom Lemon Scholarship for the IALD. And it is for students who are studying in the United States, whether they are Americans or people from other countries. And it softens the blow at about $4,500 a year for students to attend lighting programs. And if they are mid-training and there's two years to go, they get the scholarship for two years. Automatic renewal. Automatic renewal. You just got to win it once and you get it twice. That's not Two bad. for the price of one. Not a bad deal. Two for one. Steven, this has been a great conversation. It's great to catch up with you, learn a little bit more about you, your business, where it's come from and where it's going. Last question. How can people get in touch with Stephen? AvailableLight.com. Go to AvailableLight.com and you can find me there. That's awesome. Stephen, thanks again so much. Good luck in the rest of 2020. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Sam. It was good talking to you. See you. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor and go back to the app that you listen to this on and click that follow, like, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people like Steven, who are business founders, and other people who are interested in lighting and have fascinating, thought-provoking, and inspirational stories to tell. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.